you're looking to sell your home at realestateagentsitrust.com. Our goal is to ease the stress of home selling by helping you sell your home as quickly as possible at the best price possible. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I want to thank you. In just the last few months, thousands of Blaze Radio listeners just like you have contacted our agents. So if you're thinking of selling your home or if you want help buying a home, go to realestateagentsitrust.com and let our individually selected agents earn your business. realestateagentsitrust.com I hate to be the pessimist here. That's not me. I usually find the... The silver lining in the cloud. I have to, otherwise I'll go crazy. But, man, I just think that when it comes to the 2016 election, there's no stopping the insanity here. That it is going to be Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. No, you think at this point you've already actually opened Pandora's box of what's going on now. We're going to have to see it through to its fruition. We've, we've as, a, as a country, uh, thrown support behind these two crazy candidates in both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump that uh, it looks like one of these guys is going to probably be the next president. As crazy as it sounds, we're just going to have to get through it. And I don't want to be defeatist. I'm not saying don't go out there and campaign for him. Do. I mean, try to get the right things done. But when I see the numbers, the latest numbers out of South Carolina, and we got the South Carolina primary coming up on Saturday, uh, and then the Democrat, uh, for the Democrats a week after that. Super Tuesday is two weeks from today, which is probably where the whole thing will shake out, at least for the Republicans. Uh, when you look at the numbers out of it, you have Donald Trump way ahead. I think it's 35 percent. And you have uh, Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz both tied for second place with 18 percent. I mean, that's that's a huge lead at this point. And at this late in the election, too, I mean, this late in the process, we're already going to primaries at this point. For Donald Trump to have that kind of a commanding lead, I don't see it changing. I mean, I'm still going to do what I have to do, and I'm still going to inform people and let them know and speak the truth, whatever that is, even if it's speaking against, uh, you know, a wrong by Ted Cruz. I'm not trying to hide stuff or a wrong by Marco Rubio or whoever else. But I just feel like it may be a losing battle. I mean, do you feel that way with this stuff? I don't know. John Kasich's still in at 10%. So <laughs> That's I part think, of the losing battle. I think there's a That's... chance that, that Kasich may be able to go ahead and ride the, <laughs> That's ride more the momentum of the he's gotten from New Hampshire. Yeah, that's not good if he rides the momentum. It's not going to be good. Kasich's a train wreck, too. He may be even worse. Here it is. You must stop killing the messenger about this stuff. Right now, I'm sure there are some of you bristling going, well, you know, Donald Trump's fine. He may end up saving this country. He may. Or it may tank the entire thing. Stop killing the messenger on this stuff. Skip and I are incredibly consistent with it. We call out everybody when it's a wrong. It doesn't matter who it is or what the topic is. It just so happens there's a lot more wrong with Donald Trump. And the best you can say about him is this. You don't know what you're getting. That's the best you can say. Right now, he's sticking it to the D.C. machine. He's not being politically correct, which is great. But you don't know what you're going to get. It could be pretty good. The guy's got some business savvy, knows a little about the economy, a big ego that would likely see him want to do a good job, demand he does a good job. He knows how to manage some people. But that's still an if. What if? Then you have a Ted Cruz. The guy has a pretty good track record, somebody you should be able to count on. He's not doing so well. Well, he's coming in second, but not 35 but far, to 18 percent. Right. I mean, even if you are in second, if you're that far behind, is that really even a win for you? Right. So um, I look at it and I go, OK, it's not. By the way, it's not that Ted Cruz is infallible. It's not like he hasn't screwed anything up. He's got some strikes against him, but still much better, much more consistent. Some of you like Marco Rubio. Why you would trust this guy after all of his lies, I don't know. But that's, that's, your, that's your field right there. 
Yeah, no, it's um, it's certainly an interesting election cycle, too, at this point. Yeah, and I do think that it's inevitable that Donald Trump likely will get the nomination. Um, I've said that Bernie Sanders likely will. Um, and I've thought my thoughts on Trump, too, again, scares me. I, I'm worried about the prospect of that. All that being said, though, I think his, his business acumen would at least be a, a fiscal win, potentially, for, for the government. I, I think he understands the prospect of having a budget would likely cut a lot of spending um, and hopefully actually balance the budget. That being said, too, um, he's got hugely progressive history. He's been on record many times being uh, uh, anti-gun, pro-abortion, things of that nature, too. Now, maybe he has had a change of heart. Maybe he hasn't. I do think at the end of the day, uh, if he was the Republican nominee and ended up being the Republican president, he'd probably continue to play Republican. That being said, I don't really think he, he has too many ideas or feelings or, or ideas on the issues themselves. I think he'd pretty much do what he would supposed to do as a conservative or as a Republican. Um, at the same time, that may not be the case. We may get in there and his ego will continue to grow and he will just do whatever the hell Donald Trump wants to do. I feel like I'm watching this from afar, like, like surreal, like, a, like an out-of-body experience. I'm just watching all of this unfold and it's all crazy. It's not supposed to be this way. I find myself over and over again as I lie in bed at night saying, it's not supposed to be this way. We're not supposed to be here, but we are. So what's the way out? For about eight years or so, I go to Tea Party meetings or speak other places, and people go, Doc, what's it going to take for a country to wake up and to fix all of this? And my answer usually is a whole lot of pain. <laughs> because if, if you haven't figured it out yet, if the millennials haven't figured it out, if the younger, the, the Gen Xers, if you haven't figured it out yet, what makes you think they're going to suddenly have an epiphany tomorrow without some catalyst, and that catalyst is going to be pain? How did the people of World War II era figure it out? When they saw Jews being exterminated as the final solution, when they saw a bomb Pearl Harbor, people figure it out when there's a whole lot of bad. That's when they start going, okay, wait a minute, so this isn't right. It's going to take pain. Part of me thinks, as horrible as this is, the only solution is forward through more crap, whether that crap is a Donald Trump presidency or a Bernie Sanders presidency. Not that I want it, but that may be the only way forward. Well, and you talk about pain. I mean, most younger Americans today, I mean, 9-11 still only happened uh, 15 years ago. So there's a lot of people who are, I mean, coming to the age of voting, people who are actually coming to the age of voting that probably don't remember 9-11. That's a scary thought because these people don't have the, the metric for that pain, too. Yeah, it's something they read about, but for a lot of them, it's no different than Pearl Harbor. They have no better reference for it other than the fact that they hear about it maybe a little bit more. But they weren't there. They didn't see the towers fall. They didn't see the second uh, plane go into the building. So no, I, I don't feel they, like they really have They were not sitting there that morning and that night saying, we all may be attacked. I may blow up next. That, that's the key to it. When it we watch that stuff unfold, we have an emotional connection because we thought at that moment, I was in Cleveland, Flight 93 was lost over Cleveland, and they thought that there could be dozens of planes that were going to fly into stuff. And that morning I was like, okay, I have family and friends all around town. That plane could be coming for any one of them. We don't know where the plane is. So for an hour... I was next. My family was next. And that's the emotional connection they don't have. I almost liken it to the old drills that uh, they used to do in, uh, in, in primary schools, too, of getting under the desks for uh, Cold War era type things in case Russia drops the nuke, too. People truly were living in a day-by-day -day <laughs> era of fear. I mean, this was when, when personal bunkers started to become a thing, and people actually had to worry about, well, what if they dropped a nuclear bomb on us? Do you, do you ever realize how silly that is? 
that little thin piece of wood, a little corrugated metal, that's going to stop the nuclear blast. I'm safe. Good job. I'm like this underneath my desk. Apparently they Life's never good. saw the pictures from the Trinity site. No, they haven't know. seen that whatsoever. <laughs> but you know what that was? That was the feel like we're doing something. That it is. And that's, right? That's more it's the illusion of safety and security. Exactly. Gives you like, okay, I'm doing something. It was after 9-11. What did everybody? They went out and gave blood. There was nobody on life support after 9-11 that were like, okay, if we only had more blood, everything's good. But people had to feel like they're doing something. Or even, too, back in 2003 or whatever, before we attacked um, uh, uh, Iraq, uh, people went out and got gas. I remember the gas lines for, like, that whole week was crazy because we thought we weren't going to be able to get gas for the longest time. Mm -hmm. It's all reactionary mm -hmm. based off things go. And, uh, yeah, I think we're at another one of those points, too, when the only thing that's going to really give the education, the best education out there is suffering and pain. You will learn more through through pain and suffering than you will learn through any other circumstances. You know, it's true. That's the reason people have accepted socialism and communism over the years. I mean, sometimes they didn't have a choice. It came in at the point of a gun, and they're like, well, I'm caught up in this thing. I better listen to them so they don't shoot me in the head. But other times they begged for it. It was a revolution, uh, the Bolshevik Revolution and others. What happened there? The people said, we are going to overthrow the current government and replace it with a bad government. The, the government's horrible. Let's replace it with something horrible. You just Sometimes made up that worse. Bolshevik thing, though. I just made yeah, that's it. I just that's made it up. It's, word, no, it's not a real word. Yeah, I just threw it out there. But thank you for calling Bolshevik. me on it. So now everybody knows that's that I made it That's a bunch of Bolshevik is what that it is. It really is. Did you see the Marco Rubio commercial? I got to play a, a, an ad that Marco Rubio has out. And this makes a great point to what Skip's talking about, about not having a reference point to 9-11. That the current generation does not have, the younger generation, kids in college, do not have a, a reference point to 9-11. If that is true, and I believe it is, then you know they certainly do not have a reference point to Ronald Reagan. The name Reagan keeps coming up. I was a Ronald Reagan child. I, when Ronald Reagan got sworn in after that scumbag Jimmy Carter, I, I was, oh, I watched. I was in the edge of my seat as a, uh, as a kid after living through all the Carter stuff and seeing the gas lines and the gas shortages and the humiliation in the Middle East and Iran. I watched this, and when Reagan was sworn in, that was huge. I've told the story about I went out and put the yellow ribbons around the trees for the, the hostages. So I really appreciate Ronald Reagan. His time for choosing speech in 1964 is one of my favorite political speeches of all time. I love Ronald Reagan. But it's time we stop talking about Ronald Reagan. No, you could keep the values and you could point to it for educational purposes. But if you are hanging your Republican flag on that at all of these debates, you are losing it because easily half the country has no idea what you're talking about. E if, you were, if you were in college today and you're 22, that means you were born in 1994. Reagan was out of office for five years. He had already gone into seclusion because of the Alzheimer's. You don't even remember Clinton if you were in college today let alone H.W. Bush, let alone uh, Reagan. This would be akin to, when I was a kid, people would talk about, where were you when JFK was shot? Yeah. I get tired of hearing it. I have no reference point to it. I could barely remember Ford at that point. My earliest memories of a president was watching Gerald Ford come down the streets of Elkins, West Virginia, when I was there visiting my family. That's my earliest, and then, of course, Carter, and then Reagan. So I don't have any reference to him. And somebody who's in his early 30s, actually, <laughs> I have no reference really for Reagan. I mean, I can very vaguely begin to remember things about H.W. Uh, my first coming of age with politics when I was actually uh, learning about things and researching <laughs> would be the biggest, obviously, Lewinsky is probably when I really started to dive into, oh, my goodness, this whole political system. But you go before there, H.W. and Reagan, there, there really is no connection for anybody who's under the age of... 
40? By the way, you weren't you were missing anything with the HW thing. Yeah. That was, it's probably good you don't remember that. That was, <laughs> was okay. It's been a long time, folks. Long time. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. And then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on water and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now.